that part has been a little bit tough because I do feel like when I gave out the salary, then it was like, well, why are you working so hard when, you know, it takes a while to build up that pipeline and the Mm -hmm. income stream. So not having that to like justify my work that I'm putting in was a little bit of a challenge, but yeah, I feel like at the bank only up to an extent, are you really, um, benefiting from kind of like what you put into it right like they give you a pat on the back no matter how well you do like they'll happy to give you a pat on the back for that oh great you like doubled your awesome yeah okay your targets just yeah. moved it's yes. like oh exactly right. and so i was kind of because i'm such a like a an achiever yeah. i was finding that like very difficult because i didn't want to just kind of put in the bare minimum i always wanting to like try really hard but it was almost like you were getting punished for the harder you work Right. And so I knew I was going to be in my own business eventually. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Welcome to the Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Every week or every other week, I have a rookie on and talk about what they've been doing in their business to grow their mortgage business, and especially this very challenging market. And this week, I have Aaron Fraser. Aaron is a mortgage broker at Bricks. And she came to us just over a year ago and has originally came from a background in banking and uh, has an economics degree. Awesome person. And she's doing fantastic. She's in a smaller town. And so we talk a little bit about some of the challenges as well as the surprises of you know working at the bank versus being a broker, as well as some of the, you know, learning how to figure out what type of files that are good for brokers, being a broker versus being a banker. And a whole bunch of other stuff. It's a fantastic conversation. And Aaron is doing amazing and will continue to grow our business. Also, in this episode, I talked to Ben McCabe from Bloom about how to think about reverse mortgage suitability. So is a reverse mortgage suitable? Before I jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy to use. As they're filling out the app, it automatically knows what documents to ask for. When they hit the submit button, they get sent a note, hey, here's what we need from you. And you guys may not be aware of this, but often when people are filling out applications, they actually have documents there. And we're finding more and more often our applications are coming in with a bunch of the documents maybe not certainly not all of them because as you know there's lots of documents that we need now but we are getting a bunch of the documents up front which just saves time for everybody also it's connected to lender spotlight which is an amazing tool for searching rates and guidelines you can check them out at lendescom slash finmo check out this conversation with aaron hey aaron welcome to the show hey scott thanks for having me so tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage business so i am a mom of two i have a three and five year old and I live in Armstrong, BC. I have a bachelor's degree in economics from TRU and Kamloops, and I have my financial planning designation. So I was in banking prior to being a mortgage broker, and I was actually off on maternity leave when COVID hit. So it was really unknown about going back. I wasn't actually able to go back when I was supposed to because I couldn't get my daughter into daycare. All the infant programs were shut down. So I decided to take my mortgage brokering course. I actually had such a bad kind of sense of mortgage brokers prior to really investigating it because banks kind of really... They don't make make us sound too good. They make us sound (laughs) like we're like the crazy people, like, you know, only desperate people go there because they charge fees and and stuff. And so what was the general sort of sentiment that you had coming from banking? Yeah, that was exactly what I thought. I thought that only people that couldn't come to the branch would go to a broker. And 
I didn't actually honestly see that many clients I couldn't finance at the branch. So I'm like, I don't even know who goes to them. So yeah, that was what I thought before. But then when I started looking into it more, I'm like, oh my gosh, this could be perfect for me. So I just did the course. I still did end up going back to the bank for a couple months, but it was just so difficult. They were so understaffed. The COVID policies were so tight. My daughter had never been exposed to germs because of all the shutdowns. And so she was like constantly getting sick. And so I ended up having to leave because I just couldn't work like that. I was letting clients down, having to be out of the office so much. So yeah, I decided to be a mortgage broker and I have not looked back since. So what surprised you the most about going from banking to being a more, and you've got a degree, you've got the financial planning designation. So this is a big pivot to mortgages because it's a single product really compared to, what was your role at the bank? Were you like a financial services rep? Were you an advisor? Yeah, my last role before I left, I was in CIBC's Imperial Service. So with their high net worth clients and I did all their financial planning. Plus I did do some lending for them and I'd done lending you know, in the 10 years prior as well, like all through my banking. So I've had lots of experience in lending, but my last role before that was advising mainly for business clients. Okay. And so then what surprised you most about being a broker versus now that you came to the dark side, you know? Well, it was actually so shocking to me because I expected to be able to do so much more for those types of clients, like the clients I had at the bank in the broker channel. But actually I didn't find that the case at the beginning. Things like found I could easily get done at the bank. I couldn't get done in the broker channel. And so I did find that a very tough transition, actually. You know, now that I know the lenders more, I'm finding ways around those, or some of those deals are just a better fit at the branch. But there's a lot of other clients that wouldn't have worked at the branch that I can help a lot more through this channel. So it's just, it's different. It's not what I expected, though, when I originally came over. Right. What did you think being a mortgage broker was or meant? And what has been your experience? Well, I essentially thought that like for those high net worth clients or tricky files, like location wise, that I would be able to get them done at the broker channel. And that's not necessarily the case. I find now like if it's in a more rural area, those are actually more difficult to get done in the broker channel. And I still end up going to the banks for them. So they were actually easier to get done at the bank and high net worth clients. Like if they had a really good relationship with the branch, we could get them done more easily there because we also valued like that relationship piece. When if we're taking them to a different lender, that piece right. might not be there. Yeah. That's, I guess what I'm finding different. Right. Interesting. But like business for self clients, there's so many more opportunities that I didn't even know existed. Like they did income. I didn't even <laughs> I didn't what know anything like, about that. Yeah, exactly. Is this yeah. what sorcery is this? You know, you think yeah. about when you don't know what state it is, you're like, so you start full-time, part-time, because it sounds like you got your license, went back kind of to work, but it wasn't working. And so then did you just jump right into that into being a broker or what was that? Yeah, because of the conflict of interest, you can't be working at the bank anyways when you start brokering. So yeah, I left there and I got on with a broker in Vernon. Yeah, I worked. I wouldn't say full-time. I was kind of slow to start just with the kids. And like I was saying, the sickness and the um, issues with the childcare. But yeah, I went into a full-time, like fully committed to it anyways. Yeah. And so then how did it go? So, you know, jumped into this. Because the thing about being at the bank, I was talking to a guy recently and he was working in car sales, great salesman, but people come into the car dealership. And so even at the branch level, people come in because the branch spends a lot of money to build out those networks and stuff. 
So how was your first six months or so as a broker? Yeah, so that was a huge change for me. I am definitely not like a salesy types of person. And I'd been in banking such a long time. I had so many relationships. I'm definitely more of like a farmer personality rather than a hunter. Yeah. And so I, I had connections like all across the bank, not just like in the branches, but in different aspects. I had a really good reputation there. And so I was always getting referrals from other branches, from other avenues of the bank. I never really had to look for business. I was just always super busy because of, yeah, exactly. Advertising from the branch, but also because of those connections. And so when I left, I didn't really think about that ahead of time because I'd always had such an easy time about I was losing all those connections that of course then couldn't refer to me because they were referring back to the branch. Although, you know, I have still been getting referrals from the branch, but like for things that couldn't be done in the branch. Right. Okay. Interesting. So you joined us like a year, I guess a year and a bit ago, right? October of 2021. And so how's this last year been for you? The last sort of 12 months? Yeah, it's been awesome. So the sales training has been amazing. That's exactly what I needed. It has put me out of my comfort zone for sure. And I've definitely done things that I would never have done if I'd been on my own. And I needed that so badly in the business because I knew how to do like the underwriting, I knew about files, I knew about planning, but I did you understood not know. credit. You understood, you kind of yeah. understood the, I mean, it may be different at branch it is obviously, but you understood the basics of it. It was just the, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. About running a business. Like I didn't know how to run a business, how to build like partners from nothing. So that piece has been like, so amazing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And so is there any point you kind of questioned whether or not this was the career for you? Or you're like, man, what was I thinking? Should I go back to the bank? Like, have you had any of those thoughts? No, not really. I'm like 100% sure that this is the industry that I'm going to be in. Like, I would do it for free. So <laughs> I feel like I enjoy it so much. Like the process. You do it for free. I would really? Do That's so. interesting. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> no don't do I, that. Because, yeah. Yeah, like I love working on files. I do miss like the collaborative environment of working with a team. So I am excited for the future that eventually I'm going to have a team around me. So it might look a little bit different than it does now, but definitely I'm like a hundred percent in this. Right. Uh, so there wasn't a period where you were like, I qu- questioned your, like, what was I thinking? Cause you obviously gave up a salary and everything, the benefits to take a commission, who knows what question mark income kind of job. Right. Yeah, my spouse like would prefer if I didn't work at all. (laughs) And so that part has been a little bit tough because I do feel like when I gave up the salary, then it was like, well, why are you working so hard when, you know, it takes a while to build up that pipeline and the Mm -hmm. income stream. So not having that to like justify my work that I'm putting in was a little bit of a challenge. But yeah, I feel like at the bank, only up to an extent are you really, benefiting from kind of like what you put into it right like they give you a pat on the back no matter how well you do like they'll happy to give you a pat on the back for that oh great you like doubled your awesome yeah okay targets just moved it's like oh exactly and so i was kind of because i'm such a like a an achiever i was finding that like very difficult because i didn't want to just kind of put in the bare minimum i always wanting to like try really hard but it was almost like you were getting punished for the harder you worked Right. And so I knew I was going to be in my own business eventually because I wanted to be able to. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, and that can happen. I mean, you're right. They'll be like, high five. Awesome. Good job. Okay. So your targets next year are now expanded. And then you can, it's like, awesome. So I'm going to really not make any more money, but you expect me to keep working harder. So let me ask you this. What was a file that, you know, you lost starting out, but now looking back, you'd be like, oh, I know how I would handle it. Because I think this is helpful for people, rookies that are listening, that'll be like, oh, so they hopefully avoid this situation. I always say there's a thousand ways to lose a file and eventually you'll get through all of them. But what's one that you can think of that you're like, oh, I do that different if I could do it over. Yeah, like this was probably actually one of the first files that I had in the broker channel. And Mm -hmm. it was for a cottage that was going to be a rental. And so I just needed to have someone really to talk to quickly about the file and just get like Mm -hmm. my head straight about it. Because I spent a lot of time kind of trying to make it work to finance the cottage when I should have looked at you know, financing their primary residence, which I did come to after, but it was such a tight timeline. We weren't able to get it done in time. And so I still think about that file because it seems like, oh my gosh, you know, how crazy that I lost that file. But like, if I'd been at the brokerage then and could have gone in and like talked to someone, you know, just talked about the pros and cons. Right, right. So this was, you were at a different brokerage at that point? Yeah, this was before I came to Bricks. And so I didn't really have anyone to talk to like sit down and like talk out the pros and cons of like each way you could do the file. So I kind of like tried each one. And so it was just timing. Like it was too slow. You need to be like fast to pick it up. And the fact that we have like the underwriting coaches that you can go in and like run files by, mm-hmm. it's just so quick to get answers or like, yeah, you can just I always your, say time kills all straight. deals. So like, if you have totally. too much time, you'll lose your confidence or they'll lose their confidence in you. And you're like, dang, And sometimes it's a case of like, hey, why don't we solve it? Like you came in with the idea of the cottage, but maybe it's go look at the principal and be like, let's do it this way. You know, Mm -hmm. And I mean, I remember one time I had a client, this would be my story. And I don't think I've shared this one, at least not recently, where I had a client come to me and they went to Scotiabank. Scotia was like, we can't do this file. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is so easy. Like I was like, I was so excited about how easy this file was going to be to do. I can't remember what it was. I either had to restructure some debt or I had to repackage it differently. So in my wanting to sound super smart, I sat there with the client and I explained exactly how, I'm like, look, this is easy. I work with all the time. Do this, 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 and this. Boom, file's going to get done. He's like, oh, awesome. He goes back to Scotia and tells them and they go, oh yeah, oh, thanks. I could do that. And then I lost the file because I actually was more interested in this person esteeming me instead of saying, yes, I can get it done. No problem. I got you. I actually overdid it. And so then I was like, oh, that sucked. I lost the file because I literally just told the bank how to do something that they should have known how to do, but why am I going to fix their mistake, right? Like, you know, there's a quote, Napoleon Bonaparte says, never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake. Well, the bank's not my enemy, but I shouldn't also have to do their job for them and coach them on how to do it. For me, that was one I lost. I was like, oh, I should have kept it a little bit more vague, but told them, don't worry, I got this. We'll get it done. And then they would have been awesome. Okay, great. But I talked too much. So- Lesson learned. Uh, very interesting. So there were two skills when you got to become a mortgage broker, underwriting and sales. Which one has been harder for you? Definitely sales. And how do you feel about sales now compared to when you, you know, first started out? Well, it's still like out of my comfort zone, but I kind of think of it as a different way. Like that if I don't sell myself to them, then they could end up going to somebody that's not really trying to help them or have their best interest. And I know that like, underneath it all like I'm not just trying to like make money from them make commission like I have their best interest at heart so I'm really doing them a service by that's exactly what I had to do. you have to reframe 
Because say I didn't like sales either. I had a terrible mindset around sales and not terrible, but my mindset was actually accurate in that I didn't want to take things. And so you're the same way. But mm -hmm. if you're serving people, sometimes it's telling them no. Sometimes it's telling them go back to your bank. Sometimes it's, but you can't know that without asking lots of questions and uncovering. And then I think you got to do lots of uncovering in the discussion, but then you also have to think about like, you know, I do this a lot of it. Like if you were my cousin or my, you know, whatever, what advice would I give you? And put away the commission thing. The cousin framework is better than the commission framework because then you give good advice. And sometimes it's not to help a client because we're not the best fit, right? Mm -hmm. like, can you think of a file that for you, you realized it wasn't a fit and then you ended up like sending it to one of your bank friends or something? Well, there has been instances where I've like recommended that they go back to the bank, usually the bank that they came from, because like the penalty would be too high and they should do like a blend and extend or things like that. Right. So yeah, definitely that does come up in terms of, because I know what the bank has to offer. I usually know, or like, I don't really like doing them, but <laughs> mobile homes, I actually do have a lender that would do mobile homes, but I know exactly what they'll do with them at the bank. So I will like prep the client, tell them exactly, you know, how yeah, they need to. Them. Yeah. And so I found that like realtor partners really appreciate that because I just tell them, oh yeah, like have them phone me, might not be a fit here, but especially for those types of files, but I'll make sure they're. Yeah. I, and I, I've got but. some of my best referral partners from saying no, but here's how you get it done. And here's who to talk to. And they go, mm -hmm. oh, and then it's just call me first and just don't waste the time. Don't waste their time, the client's time. And you end up building more trust. But to me, that goes back to service, right? Mm -hmm. Good. That's what's good services. Somebody comes into your car dealership and they want to buy a truck and all you have is cars. And you could be like, well, I'll just talk them into a car. But no, no, tell them where to go get a truck and build trust. And I think A, you'll sleep better at night, which for me is super important. And B, you'll build long-term trust with the clients and you'll get referrals anyway. So um, yeah, that's really interesting. So from you, in terms of like, you've gone through the, you know, the 100 day challenge and the coaching, what's been the most helpful for you out of the stuff that we've been doing? Probably the training with the realtors, like presenting to them, kind of showing them what I can do. Because like, I guess I just always depended on my reputation and like people seeing what I've done. But of course, that takes a while to build up. Until they, until so. they, yeah, it's sort of like credit. How do you get good credit? You got to have, you know, debt that you've repaid. But how do you get that? Like, it's sort of like the whole chicken yeah. and egg thing. So you've got to build the reputation, but you've got to have something to work on to build it. Exactly. Right? So I know kind of pushing me out there to connect with them. And like not having it as organic as I'd normally probably just have let it have been, has been so amazing. Right. That's awesome. Okay. So I have some rapid fire questions to ask you. You can answer shorter answers. So what's a movie everybody should watch at least once? Probably The Big Short or Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, really? Those are like, you know, shark movies, you know, like you seem like you're way too <laughs> sweet to be like, you're like, I got that picture of the the goldfish with a fin. So it's you. You're like the goldfish with the fin. You're the shark, but you know, or maybe you're a real shark. Yeah, they're both good movies. What about what are three software programs or tools you can't run your business without? Probably Finmo, Outlook, and Google Drive. Yeah, those are all fantastic. And then what's the best advice you received as a new mortgage broker? I will always remember Ryan Wiley saying done is better than perfect. And not to do with the files, but to do with like marketing. I'm so like particular about things and I just would get caught up and I like to be like so over-prepared before I do something. Yeah. And so I always think of that when I'm like, is this presentation done? Well, not quite, but like, let's just get it out there, you know, get it out there because I would find sometimes I would, yeah, not end up actually following through on something. I would get started and then kind of stall halfway because, you know, 
you get stuck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's this idea, you, you know, perfection, you're trying to make it perfect, but you can't make it perfect unless you get it launched. I call it launch and learn. Mm -hmm. It's like, get it going as quick as you can, and then start to iterate and improve. There's only so much you can do before you actually start, I think. And yeah, I saw a quote recently. It's like, if you have 100% knowledge about a situation, you're too late. Like you already missed the opportunity. So it's like, you're never going to have 100% knowledge. You're never going to have it all figured out. You're never going to understand. And even if you do, like, look at, you know, the underwriting is going to change. Guidelines are going to change, you know, tools and technology. So the people who are struggling right now that have been in the business a long time are actually people that don't want to change anymore. They're like, it was really easy. It's not easy. I don't like this. So you as rookies, this is a great thing because there's going to be lots of them dropping out and you can pick up the referral partners and there's going to be a big, you know, transition or turnover right now. Because if you're at the end of your career, you're like, I'm good, I'm done. I don't want to work that hard. And, and they've, mm -hmm. they've lost the prospecting muscle. They don't know how to do it. They're like, I don't want to. I feel like I shouldn't have to. And it's like, well, if you want to keep growing, you're going to have to. So that's really good. So if you're starting over again tomorrow, is there anything you do different? I don't know. Like, I probably wouldn't have lost that file if I, you know, come on with the brokerage right away and had that yeah. support. But at the same time, like from every mistake that I've made at the beginning, it's like I've learned something from that. And so I don't know. No, I don't know if I would do anything differently. Okay, that's good. And then what would you say is your biggest challenge or something right now that you'd say that you're facing? Probably just like overwhelm with all of the tools and like just organizing, I guess, information, finding very seamless processes for information, I guess, is what I struggle with the most. I like things to be simple and easy. And when they get like complicated, so are you talking about like file management or what do you mean yeah, specifically? Like file management. Yeah. Have you taken the time to map your customer journey? Yes. Okay. Like how do you feel about it and how close do you actually follow it when you do it alone? <laughs> See, I could follow it closer. I think I do like a lot, to be honest. It needs to be like simpler. Right. But I feel like every file is like different. So it kind of like travels its own path and I like it too. But yeah, I find like sometimes it's too complicated. I think my customer journey. Right. Okay. Well, maybe if you want, when we're done this call, I'll get you to pull it up on the screen and I'll look at it with you. I can't do it on the podcast, but I'm happy to have a look at it and give you my two bits on it. Wouldn't be as useful if you can't actually see it. So where can people find you online? So on Instagram at Aaron Fraser Mortgages or Facebook under Aaron Fraser. Yeah. Or online at www.aaronfrasermortgages.com. Right. Awesome. Well, hey, Aaron, thank you for coming to chat with me and congrats on your success and, you know, not listening to the bank's story of, you know, how bad brokers are, but there are brokers that talk bad about the bank. I just think some banks are good at certain things and brokers are good at certain things and just pick which types of files you actually want to go after because you have to go with the wrong kind of file. You're going to be frustrated, right? Like I personally never really went after high net worth clients because I always found that if they were super high net worth, the banks would do things for them. That we just couldn't. I'm like, it's not worth it. Like I'm going to literally, you know, kill myself to get this done or the ones that have super long, like it's a construction development that's 24 months out. I'm not doing that. I'm not even going to, not going to spend any time on it because they've got that market. And so I think understanding where we're good and when we're not, and then picking those opportunities is important for energy management and frustration management. Totally. The thing is coming from the bank too, like I know how many bad bank employees there are. Like clients are not getting called back. I feel like not very threatened by the bank because even though I know they can do it, there's not very many like staff that are going to do it or call them back. Right. Like they're so overwhelmed. 
they're so short staffed. And every time I go into like branches I've worked at, they're shorter staffed. And yeah. so like the clients will get like a product that they couldn't get through the broker channel, but if they can get it through the broker channel, it is going to be a hundred percent better service. It'll be a better experience for them. Yeah. And, and then there's stuff that we straight up are just better at. So that's awesome. Oh okay. yeah, totally. Hey. Okay. Thank you, Aaron, for chatting with me and we'll be chatting again soon. Okay. Thanks Scott. Nice to talk to you. All right. Hopefully you got some inspiration from this and as well as when we touched on there a little bit about the importance of actually learning how to do sales. And so sales is something that I did not like. And even the word today is not something now I don't, doesn't bother me, but honestly, in my mind, I think of sales as service and serving people means becoming better at communicating, understanding their needs. And sometimes it means telling them a no. Sometimes it means, yeah, you can help them. And we actually uh, jumped off the call there and I had to pull up our customer journey and dove into that a little bit. And that wasn't the main issue. That was only a secondary issue. I think that we helped her figure out the tweaks she needed to make help her get more organized. In this next segment, I talked to Ben from Bloom about how to think about reverse mortgage suitability. Hey, Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott, good to be here. Hey, so what are we going to talk about today on Ask the Experts? So yeah, I know like regulators in Canada in the mortgage industry have been focused a lot on suitability lately. I know in Ontario, FISRA uh, did a big deep dive into reverse mortgages last year. And one of the main things they were trying to establish is how do brokerages establish that the you know reverse mortgage is suitable for clients. And it might seem obvious, but, you know, I think uh, there might be a bit more to it than people, you know, would immediately come to mind. So I uh, figured to talk about how we think about suitability for our clients and perhaps that could be useful to brokers as well. Sure. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love to hear because you don't want to put somebody in a product that's not a good fit for them. And then it's just not good. Bad for you, bad for them, bad for reputation, the industry. So how would you break this down? What would be the first thing you'd look at when it comes to suitability? Yeah, so we think about suitability in sort of three different buckets for reverse mortgages. The first one is sort of personal circumstance suitability. The second one is financial suitability. And the last one is financial literacy and capacity. So let's start on the first one. So personal circumstance suitability, like in almost all cases or the vast majority of cases, reverse mortgage customers are typically in the decumulation phase of their financial life cycle. So it's a complicated word, but what does that mean? It's basically the opposite of the accumulation phase, right? So when you're working, when you're earning income, when you're investing in your, you know, your retirement portfolio, when you're paying down a mortgage, right? And so building up home equity, you're in the accumulation phase of your financial life cycle, right? You're trying to build yeah. as much of the nest egg as possible. And then you retire and then you flip into the decumulation phase of your financial life cycle, right? The reason why reverse mortgage is best suited for somebody in that phase of their financial life cycle is obviously you're not paying that mortgage down, right? You're not building equity by paying that mortgage down. You're effectively decumulating your home equity asset. And so that's why reverse mortgages are best targeted at people who are, you know, 55 plus. Right. That makes sense, actually. So it's kind of like, yeah, what would kids be in? They'd just be in this expense category. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they're not really, they they're don't have hurting, they're hurting they're just, the they're accumulation. Just a, yeah, they're a liability. They're not even, yes. love my kids, they're still a liability. Okay. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense, actually. So the first is their personal circumstance. And just the second way. part, the second piece of that is really, one of the things we always like to look for is like a logical use of proceeds. So, you know, in over 80% of cases, the purpose of the reverse mortgage is to pay out an existing mortgage, right? So just, you know, slam dunk use case. You know, sometimes it's to buy a new house. Sometimes it's a living inheritance for loved ones. But sometimes we get applications where it's just not totally clear what the use of proceeds are. And the borrower's, you know, looking for a huge chunk of change to go into their bank account and start, you know, accruing interest, you know, compound annual interest. And they can't really tell us what exactly it's for. We sometimes get a bit cagey in those cases. So one of the things we like to look for is, is there a logical use of proceeds for all that money? Right. That makes sense. 
somebody who's taking a reverse mortgage to invest, for instance, may not be making the right choices there. Yeah, okay, this, I mean, I think yeah. in those situations, we you know, we probably want to make like a case by case analysis, right? Like if it was right. clear that they were working with a financial advisor, that they had a plan, you know, that's maybe something we can support, right? But if they're telling us they want to invest in, you know, crypto, you know, that might yeah, not be I got this, you know, yeah, that's true. Okay, so what would be the second thing? The second one is financial suitability. And so basically, like, it's a pretty simple question that we're trying to answer here. You know, there's a fair bit of complicated math in the background. But basically, the question is, if we can put this person into a reverse mortgage, are we solving their problem? And are they going to be able to like maintain homeownership for a long period of time thereafter? Yeah, right? it's not a Band-Aid where it's like, oh, shoot, they're going to get behind on all their, you know, they can't maintain it. They can't pay their utilities. and Exactly. And exactly. just delaying the inevitable of like, maybe you should just sell. Exactly. We need to be comfortable that they have enough either savings or net proceeds from the reverse mortgage or, you know, CPP and OIS income or whatever it is to maintain their obligations as homeowners, you know, for an extended period of time, such that they're basically not headed to a dead end in a home sale in the near term. Right. That makes sense. Okay. So you got personal circumstance, financial suitability. What will be another? Yeah. And the last one, and I, think, I think, you know, this is probably applies to every different type of mortgage, but I think it's, it's just magnified when you're dealing with older borrowers is financial literacy and capacity, right? So we want to make sure that our clients, you know, fully understand the reverse mortgage, fully understand the nature of that growing balance, that the deal makes sense, that they really want to do it, that they're not under any like undue influence from third parties, you know, like family members, things like that, that it's really their decision and that they understand what they're doing and that it makes sense, right? The independent legal advice process for reverse mortgages helps a lot here because obviously we get a, their independent lawyer to sign off to say that, you know, I've talked to the board about this. I believe that they understand what they're getting into. You know, this deal makes sense. And so that helps. But certainly we on our side just want to get comfortable that this deal makes sense and that the client has the mental capacity to make this financial decision for themselves. So that's right. that's really the last thing we check on every deal. Right. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So this is fantastic that you obviously you got to think about suitability. So I'm curious when the regulators came by and they, you know, went through your books and looked at everything, what was their opinion of what you guys are doing? Yeah. I mean, so obviously, you know, we're a reverse mortgage specific line. This is the only tool in our toolkit, right? So we've obviously developed a lot of policies and procedures specifically around reverse mortgages. So they're certainly happy with the way that we think about things. I think they like the structure here, the, the way that we're thinking about suitability. Uh, and so perhaps that's a model that, uh, that other brokers can apply as they're thinking about reverse mortgages. Right. So they're like, hey, high five, you guys are good to go. Keep lending out reverse mortgages. I said that they didn't, but that's how I perceive it. So that's awesome. I've only ever been audited once by the regulators and it felt like the you know Gestapo was coming in. They wanted to see all my files and they climbed through them all like, okay, you're fine. I was like, <gasps> they're all like ex-police, like retired police officers. So I'm like, why do you have to make these intimidating people come in? I mean, it's just paper. Like, you know, I'm not trying to, and everything was fine, but it was just like a random audit. I think that's once in like 16 years. And so- yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I got, definitely I think on the flip side of the coin, there's just, there hasn't really been a huge amount of guidance around reverse mortgages in Canada for brokerages, even sort of, you know, we've had to sort of develop all those policies and procedures kind of, you know, in isolation. So just getting that kind of sign off is beneficial for sure. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So anybody listening to this, if you want to check out Bloom, go to bloomfin.ca. Ben and his team can help you with a reverse mortgage. They got two ways they can help you. Obviously, you can manage the client relationship or you can just hand them the reins. Say, hey, look, this is my client, Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Uh, here's what they need. And you guys will take care of the whole thing and still pay them. And you're very good at suitability, making sure that it fits, explaining it and moving at the client's pace. Because obviously, there's a you know, you got to make sure that this makes sense at this time and everything. So it's awesome. Thanks, Ben, for coming to chat with me. Thanks, Scott. 
All right. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for my conversation with Aaron and Ben. Hopefully you took away a couple ideas for your mortgage business. I always find, you know, what I love about working with rookies and through our Rookie to Rockstar program is meeting people like Aaron and just seeing what they can do with their business and allowing people to create their own opportunity versus, you know, working at a bank and then being like, the harder I work, it doesn't really make any difference. They give me a high five and then say, do it again, but more versus building your own business. But it is not for everybody. It's not for the faint of heart. And it is definitely not easy. So if it was easy, everybody would do it. But it is absolutely worth it if you're willing to put in the work. And so if you're one of those people, go check out rookie2rockstar.ca. We've got a webinar there where I walk you through exactly how we've helped you find, convert, and fund your first 10 mortgages. Just like Aaron, go check that out. Thanks for listening to this episode. I will see you on the next show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.